You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. set a course for a season two. But give us an aft view in the meantime. It's 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern on a Monday night. It must be Mission Log Live. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. After an unprecedented 47, that's right, folks, 47 straight weeks of uninterrupted new Star Trek, we're taking a look back at the first season of the latest series, Pike and crew are on our minds tonight with a look back at season one of Strange New Worlds. And we want to hear your thoughts and comments. And we've brought along a special guest to help us kick things off. That's right. In a moment, we will introduce to you the person who has been chained to a hot computer for the last several years, losing all sense of reality in a sea of time code and color timing. Andrew Coots is the editor of Strange New Worlds and many other modern treks. We'll meet him in just a moment. Because it's time now to take a look at who has joined us in our live chat, the audience that be on your best behavior, people, because we have a guest star here. <laughs> right. right. So exactly. Shout out, first of all, to Cosmo, to Jane, to John Arminio. Greetings, explorers of strange new worlds. There's Chris Riker. Uh, let's see here. Oh, wait, Chris. Uh, oh, wait. No, sorry. Sorry, Dave. Uh, and then Chris is the one who actually said, yes, only serious questions tonight. So do the enterprises and the cell caps do that? pokey thing because it's cold in space we want to know inquiring minds need to know uh dave welcoming hello everyone there's other dave saying solid for a season and uh crew let down by a uh, week final episode well we, we can talk about that too there's jane says uh season two and straight on till morning so uh and it, by the way it was dave uh dave one not dave two who counted up that happy 47 number and uh dave other Dave says 47, almost like they planned it. We have our first Paul of the night. Ooh, we got two Pauls. Two Pauls. So hopefully we'll have a Paul effect uh, momentarily. Good to see you all. Matthew Corey's chiming in saying, for the record, I loved Strange New Worlds, and I hope they have more than 10 episodes in season two. Well, that might be the only kind of spoiler we can get tonight. So we'll find out. There's Alan. So uh, great to see you all. And uh, of course, you know what to do. Call in tonight, chat with me and Norman, chat with our special guest and we bring him on here in just a second you may have questions for him about production about how the sausage is made or maybe you want to stick around and chat with us about your impressions of season one it's all on the table it is all fair game you know what to do click on the zoom meeting link or dial us or use the one tap from your smartphone and then you will be in the earl green room and then earl if he vets you worthy of course he will send you over to the broadcast room and we can chat with you then so you know what to do. Click those buttons, tap the thing, chat with us. Norman, what's coming up in Mission Log Land this week? So the grass never really gets, you know, it, or it's the moss. It's the moss never really grows underfoot on us, not the grass. The, the, the moss, well, the grass might be greener, but the, the grass moss, is greener in the other nebula. Because we're rolling never, stones. That's, exactly. That's what, okay, got it. That's yeah. exactly what's happening. So on the USS Euphemism, our coverage of Voyager <laughs> continues this Thursday with the second episode of season two. That's initiations. The one where we start playing the home game on how many shuttlecraft we're going to lose mm-hmm. in our seven seasons of Voyager. So make sure that you get your hash marks out. 142. That, that's, that's my guess. 142. Not yeah. 47? We're no, not going to stick no, with 47? No, no, not for that Oh, no, one. no. Uh, abusing 47, that's yes. Voyager's writer's That's game. Voyager's that's thing. Yes, yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, Mission Log, the Orville's continuing with Captain Mike and uh, Jessica Lynn Verde. So they're continuing on. This week going to be episode eight out of 10. Seven. We're already at episode eight. Seven. 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 Seven, seven this week. Yep. Okay. Yep. Se- episode yep. seven. Mm-hmm. I'm giving him one episode more credit than <laughs> I usually do. You know, right. but that's yeah, that's not that's not strange for me. And we also have Mission Log Prodigy. Now, remember, both of these shows, along with Mission Log Engage, these can be found as live shows or pre-recorded shows that are on YouTube at Roddenberry Podcast or the Roddenberry playlist on YouTube. So make sure that you check that out. Always go there. And if you haven't been there, watch these episodes, comment on them. We'll comment on them back for you. That address again is youtube.com slash Roddenberry Entertainment. And make sure you stay in touch with all of our podcasts at podcasts.roddenberry.com. 
You know, that was well said, Norman, and uh, I might point out that on shows like Mission Log Prodigy and Mission Log Orville, you get some great guests. You know, Mission Log Prodigy, you've had uh, the Hagemans a couple of times, yep. uh, and on Mission Log the Orville, oh, I don't know, like like some guy called Seth McFarlane, who has something to do with uh, the Orville. Uh, he's a writer. Figure, he's a writer, right? He's a writer, something yeah. like that. Still trying to figure that out. Okay. Uh, but you know what? What I'm saying here is that we all get great guests on the Mission Log family of shows, and tonight, it's time to welcome our special guest, literally... This is the kind of thing that I really geek out on. This is the kind of thing that I love. It is that behind-the-scenes detail about how the shows are made, how the sausage is made, as I put it. Andrew Coots is an editor who not just has completed season one of Strange New Worlds. Oh, no, 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 no. His Trek cred goes far further back than that. How about Discovery? How about Picard as well? Now he's on Strange New Worlds. Um, I am excited to hear about all the many tracks, but especially the track that we're in right now, Strange New Worlds. Uh, Andrew, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. Hey, John. Hey, Norman. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Hi to all the, the viewers out there. Yeah, well, forward to uh, welcome, talking welcome, to you guys welcome. about season one. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. And uh, all of our listeners out there who are maybe curious about how all of this happens, how it gets put together, uh, now is your time to call us or send us messages or uh, hit that Zoom link and chat with us. Uh, but I, I want to get things kicked off right away. I mean, I, I guess we do have to start at the beginning a little bit and just find out how you landed that coveted Trek job. Part of the beauty of Trek is that they hang on to people for a very long time. <laughs> so I know that there is more to come for you, but but what was that uh, process to get from oh you know your pre track life to now this huge massive awesome franchise? I mean you know going going way back I was just uh, a kid I grew up in a small town in Canada and Next Gen was my show growing up that's the show I I watched and I loved and uh, I ended up becoming part of the film industry in Toronto and through that shifted into LA where I live now. And I, I connected with, uh, with a, a producer named Alex Kurtzman. And I was working with him on a show called Sleepy Hollow for Fox a number of years ago. And so that was, you know, when Star Trek came along, I thought, oh my God, they're doing a new Star Trek show. How do I get involved in that? And, you know, it becomes that it's Alex Kurtzman who's doing that, the first season of Discovery. And so, through my relationship with Alex and his team from uh, when I was on Sleepy Hollow, I was able to make the connection and, uh, and become so fortunate to be working on the first season of Discovery. And, you know, of course, my relationship kind of builds from there. I did, uh, I did two seasons of Discovery, the first two, and then I uh, went over to do the first season of Picard. And then when Strange New Worlds came along, I, I went over to start on the first season of Strange New Worlds, and that's where I've been since then. I, I guess one of the obvious uh, questions then is that when you go from a show like Discovery to a show like Picard to a show like Strange New Worlds, is the um, is there sort of a style book? Is there sort of a, a, an idea in your head, or maybe it's a collaboration of see, you and the producers and directors that you bring on, uh, that there is a style that differentiates the edit for a show like Discovery from a show like Strange New Worlds. Like, what is that process like before you even sit down and start cutting frames? Yeah, I mean, for all all three shows, you know, it's always they, they've gone into each one looking for them to to feel like they stand on their own stylistically. That they're not all just the same show with different characters. Every show has its own viewpoint and has its own style. And so, yeah, when we go and we kick off a season. There's definitely been discussions with that in mind that have been ongoing for usually, I mean, for a while before I even get on the show. So there have been discussions between, you know, our, our showrunners and our creative executives and the, the DPs that are starting off on those shows. And so they'll have kind of figured out the language that they're using to, uh, to visually tell the story. And then when I come on board or when the other editors come on board, we're, we look at that style book that they've created and we know kind of the 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 idea that they're going for visually the visual language they're trying to use for that specific series and then we our job is to find how the editing fits into that style and 
so that you know it becomes very much working with you know the directors and the producers and uh, the DP and seeing what the style they created is and how we can help enhance that through editing. You know, Andrew, as a, um, I used to do a lot of creative design work. And when we had, when we had foreknowledge of who we're going to be designing for, it gave us kind of like a little bit of kind of inside baseball of how we're going to approach the project. So since you've been with Star Trek and all of these new series since Discovery, when you see certain names kind of come through the process and say, oh, I know this writer, or I know this director, do you start already leaning towards a certain way of, uh, of processing like your final cut? because you kind of can expect it or is it always different every single time? I mean, it's certainly, it's certainly different and it changes, but, you know, part of being, being part of this world for, you know, the years I've been part of it is you certainly do develop a shorthand with knowing what, what the EPs are looking for, knowing what the showrunners are looking for, knowing all the different directors who come through, because we do have some cross pollination of directors who've been on a number of the different shows. And so, yeah, it certainly, it certainly helps to have that, that knowledge of who all these people are and what their sensibilities are and what you know, what they're looking for. And it, it, it makes my job easier in presenting something to them. And, and my goal is hopefully that it makes their job easier because we're already so much closer to what's in their head and what they want it to be because I, I have insight into that. And so it just makes the whole process easier and uh, easier for everybody is the hope. That's, that's always my goal is to deliver something that, is the show that they have in their heads without them having to explain it to me step by step. Um, I, I had a, an interesting conversation with an actor years ago, a Star Trek actor, nonetheless. Um, and he uh, came from a theater background and, and said something that I've always kind of held in my head, which is uh, by his estimation, he said theater is an actor's realm because you know you know you can rehearse it but once you're live on stage okay that is the actor's domain it's just the the performers and the audience right and then he said film is really a director's domain uh because the director gets to craft a vision that is seen on screen and of course there are great you know director editor combos uh somebody here in the somebody here in the chat pointed out marcia lucas's <laughs> contributions to star wars i would say like thelma schumacher and uh, martin scorsese you know that that that's a, a team for so long. Um, within this actor said TV is really an editor's domain. And, uh, and I always thought that was very interesting because um, it seems like that is an area where a, delect, uh, a director, and maybe this was speaking two years ago, not necessarily right now, uh, but in his estimation from the time that he was working actively, uh, that directors didn't really have a lot of uh, creative room to flex. And, you know, the actors were just sort of like, okay, get the shot, and then we're moving on. Uh, so he felt like really that was the place that an editor could have a lot more room to roam free and really craft the final show that you get to see is this person way off base <laughs> or uh you know is it do you see this as a medium where you do have a good amount of uh creative muscle to flex yeah i mean i certainly think i have creative muscle to flex but i i, I wouldn't say that i'm it's my medium at all it's i'm i'm part of a a, a big creative team of you know the the showrunner especially on on tv the showrunner's kind of the the creative head of the season he's the person who's there or in our case uh, we have you know co-showrunners akiva and henry they're they're the people who are there as the creative driving force behind everything so they're the ones overseeing the scripts overseeing the production overseeing the editing so it's it's really you know in, in film where you have a singular product a singular um uh, piece of art it's it's the director who kind of is doing that art and where in a in a tv show like ours you'll have directors come in for different episodes so there's never mm -hmm. one director whose vision is is moving all the way through the season so that's where the showrunners are and so they're the ones who kind of their vision oversees it all and there's there's cases in tv where you might only have one director for a whole season i think that was um true detective season one kind of did that did that road um, but typically for TV, it's the showrunner who is the, the creative vision for the whole season and for the whole series. 
You know, Andrew, uh, we've been getting a lot of really good technical style questions, you know, from our audience. So, and they can't interface with you directly. So we're going to try and see if we can ask some of their questions to you. Um, I know that there have been a lot of, of this type of sentiment. Uh, how fuzzy is, uh, from our friend David Takechi, how fuzzy is the line between editor, director, writer, et cetera? Several other questions to that effect. Um, Rand says, uh, what aspect of editing do you feel that you can insert some of your own creative choices? So they're obviously very interested in where you can feel that you can, um, say, uh, assist or perhaps even push a certain um, level of your own creativity in collaboration with, you know, your storytellers, your showrunners, your directors, because you feel that it's the right thing to do for the right beat, the right moment, you know, the right part of that scene where they may not have considered that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for, with editing, it's it's really you know, the editor is really creating the pacing and creating the rhythm and creating the flow of an episode of a, of a show. And so where you can, you can introduce your own creativity is, is in how you go about structuring a scene, how you go about altering and, and, and tweaking the flow of a scene. And, you know, you can, you can decide to focus on one specific character's perspective in a scene, or you can choose to, to leave out a character's perspective in a scene. So you, there's all these things you can do or, or, you know, give people longer to consider things, give people shorter. So there's all these structural kind of ebb and flow that you can massage and work on and bring in your own interpretation of into a show. And, uh, you know, I'm given, you know, as an editor, you're given the opportunity to, while they're shooting an episode, you're working on the episode uh, as they're shooting it. And so by the time they're done shooting, the director hasn't, they've just been on set. And so you get to present them. Here's my ideas of how, the show goes together. And so that's where you have a lot of creative input because you're, you know, I mean, you're, of course, you're talking with the director and understanding what their vision is and trying to get there, but there's certainly room to present ideas. Well, what if we, what if we cut the scene and really focused on this one character and their reactions and what they're seeing and how they're taking things in? Cause that'll really tone the scene to make it about them and their experience. And so that's, that's kind of where as an editor, you get to, you get to present ideas and thoughts and things that you have about how things can go together and what perspective you can show. And so that's, that's really where the, all the creativity comes in for me. And it's, it's, it's really just, it's another way of being a storyteller, right? I'm, I'm being a storyteller, but on the, the post-production side. And so I'm, I'm, you know, they've written the story and then they shoot the story. And then the editing is the third time they tell the story. And so you're trying to figure out how to make it the final version of the story. There's that, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead, John. I would say that there's a, a technical question here that I, I think is really interesting from Chris. And he says, uh, for you, is there an upper limit of the shots per minute or shots per second? What's too fast to process visually? Um, there's, I mean, there certainly is an upper limit on what you can process visually. And it, it depends, you know, obviously for our show, we're not, I don't feel like we're pushing the limit of, of going way too fast, which, you know, in, in certain contexts, it certainly is a style that has an impact. Um, I find when you start getting to below four, four to three frames a second, people, it, it, you stop really taking things in. It becomes more of a, a sub, you'll still be affected by it, but you won't really know what you saw. Mm. I, I remember reading somewhere or maybe another editor or somebody pointing out that uh, most shots, even in feature films, don't last more than seven seconds. And ever since I heard that, I, I will sit there and I will kind of count them out in my head when I'm watching. <laughs> like, really, is this taking too long? Is it too short? Are we not, you know, I, I, would, I was really pleased to see in Strange New Worlds, at least, there are many shots, particularly establishing with the Enterprise, that really do take their time. They mm-hmm. really do just kind of let you sit in the moment for a little mm-hmm. while and, and take it all in. So, yeah. um, so that was not one of those annoying examples. <laughs> you know. um, hey, let's bring in our uh, first caller tonight, who I believe has some uh, deeply thoughtful technical questions uh, about the artistry of editing. It's Paul. Paul, welcome to the show. Hi, John. Hi, Norman. Hey, Paul. Uh, 
Hi, yeah. Andrew. Uh, congratulations. Uh, congratulations on differentiating these series. I'm a huge fan of uh, Picard's. I, I, the show I feel is made for my demographic, and you, you hit it really, really well. Um, a former life as a professional photographer, and so we had editors, but we always pre-edited what we sent to the editor. Um, as the editor of a show, are you forced to sit through every take that's on media? And how do you sort this stuff out? Do you get help or? Um, I do. I, I do watch every take. And that's just part of part of my process is because as, as, I, as we're working through these shows and as we're working, I'm working with the director and I'm working with the producers. If they ask me, hey, can we do X? I want to be able to answer without having to say, well, I, I need to dive through the footage and figure out what's there. I want to say, oh, yeah, we have an option here. We have an option there. And I want to just be able to pick things up that I can instantly say, okay, yeah, we can do it this way. And so I, I definitely do watch all the footage. And it's, it's seen, it's, it certainly sounds like a lot um, to, to sit through. But for me, it's, it's really just part of, it's really just part of it, myself ingesting and understanding what's there and starting to piece the puzzles together in my head. Um, so it, it, it's not something that feels, feels taxing or feels so much to go through to me. It just, because, you know, and you're also only tackling it scene by scene typically. And so you're just watching, here's the footage for this scene. And what can I do with this scene? Um, so it, when in photography, periodically, if you're at a major event, you have like a several seconds to capture a key moment. So what happens? Do you ever run into a situation where you don't, get the take that everybody wants and then how do you negotiate which one to use yeah i mean the interesting thing about this process is you know when someone writes a script they have a they've created the film in their head they have an idea of what they think it's going to be and when someone when a director goes in and shoots that they have their own interpretation of what that is and what they're capturing and so sometimes yeah sometimes you can be in situations where um the intention that a writer thought was going to be there is it not quite lined up with the director picked up or captured. And so you're, you're looking for ways to shape and massage and, and adjust things. So maybe they want, they want something to land a little lighter and it was playing heavier on the day. Right. And so you can find ways to, to adjust those things. And that's just, yeah, that's part of the process. And that's what we sit and do with the directors and with the producers and with, you know, when we, when it goes to the network and we get their thoughts on it, it's massaging the show into fine tuning all these little moments until it's landing in just the right spot for that, that, you know, is what we're trying to achieve. Paul, I want to I want to dovetail. I'm sorry, you have one more question. Yeah, I really I wanted have... to dovetail uh, someone else's question in chat because it works perfectly with what Andrew just said. But <laughs> I'll I'll pin mine so you can get yours in, and then I'll do mine next. Yeah, I'll just I'll, I'll get this last one in, and then uh, leave it to everybody. Um, digital. Okay, so let's say you're all sitting around, you want the digital spaceship battle, and you're all looking at each other, going, uh, "Yeah, this isn't right." How often do you get to, how often have you sent them back to the artist and say, can you uh, give me something different? <laughs> how often does that happen? And, and at what price? <laughs> I, I mean, we, we have, we have an absolutely amazing visual effects team that have been, uh, I mean, I've worked with them through all of the, the Star Trek shows and they are Emmy award winning. So they are pretty good at what they do. <laughs> so, I mean, it's all, it's all a collaborative process. So it's something, you know, as, as the scripts comes out, everyone's talking about it. The director, and uh, our showrunners are talking about what these scenes are going to be. And we start envisioning them and we do what's called previs, which is where the director will talk to the visual effects team and they'll have conversations about what these beats are going to be. And we'll start getting very rudimentary uh, animations of them that we can start incorporating into the cuts. And so we're not, we're not kind of going through a cut typically being blind to what's coming from visual effects. It's a process that's evolving as we go through these cuts and so it's definitely something that, you know, say as, just as with editing, as we're going through these process, there's notes happening and there's changes happening and there's tweaks happening. That's the same thing with the visual effects as they're evolving along with the edit is that, you know, the showrunners will look at shots and they'll have ideas and they'll have tweaks and we'll, we'll shift things and, and massage things. And so it's, yeah, it all, it all kind of goes hand in hand with uh, the evolution of a, of a final cut. Well, thanks. Um, once again, excellent work. I uh, just... You're doing, you guys are just doing incredible jobs. We've often commented here on how 
these episodes look like mini movies week to week. And just congratulations on the work. And I'll uh, pass it back over to John and Norman. Thanks. Thanks All for right. the time, Andrew. I really appreciate Cheers it. Thanks to that. Thanks, Paul. Paul. Uh, Kind of like dovetailing off of uh, actually these last two questions, because they really kind of culminate into our next question coming in from uh, Cherie here in the uh, chat. She asks, what was the most difficult Strange New Worlds episode to edit and why? Now, taking in the consideration of managing expectations, working with so many different creative visions and having your own, obviously, voice, you know, in the process there has to be at least one that was probably more challenging than another. And maybe it's because there are so much at stake in the narrative of Star Trek, where this lands as strange new worlds, than say other episodes. Yeah. I mean, it is, a, it is a difficult question because I don't really look at whole episodes as being overly difficult. I look at, there may be difficult scenes and there may be difficult emotional beats that we're trying to work out. Um, but I mean, of course I worked on, the premiere episode of strange new worlds. And that's an episode that, you know, anytime you're presenting a new episode and especially when we're presenting a new star Trek episode, which has so much history and has such a huge, um, uh, fan base and, and kind of hu- huge buildup of years to the series, you're going to spend a lot of time really refining that and really looking at these characters you're introducing and really looking at, the the beats you're playing out and and wanting to make sure we're staying true to the the kind of values and the themes of Star Trek and so that's probably the episode that really got the most scrutiny for sure would have been the first one. Interesting. Um, Alan has a question for us in the chat. Is there something that you've come to notice about any particular Star Trek actor's performance style based on watching them for editing? That because that, that's it. You would spend the most time out of anybody <laughs> yeah. watching what they do. Yeah. I do. I spend all my day just watching performances. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I. I mean, I think. I, I think what was what was great about Strange New Worlds is, you know, we had introduced Pike and Spock and Una uh, in season two of Discovery. And so a lot of times on, on other shows I've, I've worked on, there's, there's a period of, you know, everyone's trying to figure out who the characters are and they're trying to find, find what, what that character is in the path that their character's on. And in Strange New Worlds, <clears throat> I remember watching the footage as it came in for the first episode and it already felt so, so locked in and so just the characters knew who they were. Everything felt like it was meshing. Um, and I mean, that's just a testament to the, the amazing cast we have. I mean, it was across the board. It wasn't even just uh, the ones that had played those characters on Discovery before, but all of our, all of our bridge crew, everybody, everybody just came in and brought such a high level game, high level, high level craft that it, it seemed like we've been, they've been playing these characters for years. It was really just effortless. I mean, it seemed effortless. I'm sure they put an immense amount of work into it, but it seemed, from my from my perspective, it seemed effortless, and it just all flowed. All right. Well, we're we're almost here at the bottom of the hour, where we'll uh, we'll take a little break and we'll come back and talk about Strange New World season one. But a couple of parting shot questions here from our audience. Rand wants to know who is the biggest giggler <laughs> slash shot ruiner on Strange New Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest giggler i mean they're they have a lot of fun on set i'm trying to think who is the biggest giggler i hope it's um, peck yeah I say. <laughs> you would hope, right? <laughs> ethan has a lot of fun for sure um i i mean i think ortegas ortegas and uhura are probably they're having they're having the most fun, but I wouldn't say they're ruining takes. I don't think anyone is ruining takes, but all of our cast is definitely having a lot of fun on set, and it's it's fun to see from my my side of it. But it's also I feel like oh, I wish I was there. They're having a lot of fun. Nice, nice. And then uh, last question here: Carlos says, are the episodes in the can for a long while before airing, or were some of the prints we're using that euphemistically uh, still wet when they were delivered? So, what, what's you know, kind of the the new reality of streaming and turnaround times? 
I mean, the reality with our show is that we have, we have such a huge, a huge amount of visual effects work to do on these shows. And when you say it's like a movie, it really is. It really is like a, every, every episode is like a mini movie with the amount of, of work we have to do on visual effects, on composing, on the sound effects. And so we don't really, I mean, they, they're in this process for a long time, for months and months and months per episode. We can't just shoot it and turn it around and get it on air right away. We just have, there's just so much, so much backend work that goes on that it's, it's, it's a process. Awesome. All right. Well, Andrew, it has been a pleasure. Now, I, I did say off the air uh, before we came in that the second half of the show is just going to be uh, people calling in with their opinions on Strange New Worlds. They will be vicious. They, they will be uh, insightful. They will be you know, no holes barred. You are welcome to stick around for that. You don't have to, though. So totally up to you. We're going to take a break here for a second. But I do want to thank you for joining us for, uh, for the top of the show to tell us uh, how it all comes together. And I hope we'll get to do that again sometime. Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. It was wonderful. And I'm happy to stick around. I love to hear. I love to oh. hear people's thoughts. Oh, watch out. Fantastic. All right. So we got people lined up already who are ready to go. We got Cosmo. We got Andy. We got Paul. We got Alan. We got Cherie. Oh, yeah. All right. Now, now's your chance. You just get to you let it all hang out right here with, uh, with Stranger Worlds editor Andrew Coots joining us. So, uh, Norman, before we do that, though, let's do a little bit of business and remind mm-hmm. people how they can interact with us uh, a bit more closely through Patreon. So you've heard us mention this here on the live show and on the recorded show and across social media that if you would like to become a larger part of our discussion and extend your discussion here into extra innings you can join us on our discord uh server uh, through patreon so take a look at patreon.com slash mission log and then there are a variety of different tiers where you can take a look at supporting us and for as little as one dollar a month if you would like to subscribe us uh, to us in that way, you have access now then to our Mission Log Discord, where we have conversations very much like this, live, live on Discord, where we talk about the released episodes of uh, Mission Log. We talk about a variety of different topics on Discord, and we have built this fantastic community. John, um, how much do we love our community? Uh, so much. So much I can't even put into words, Norman. It's impossible to do that. Uh, but I will say this, that, look, join Patreon. Uh, uh, join us certainly for the Discord chat. Stick around there. So much happening. But you also get exclusive Mission Log swag. Uh, you get early access to our shows, unedited shows. It's a lot of fun. It truly is a community. And uh, we see you there all the time. So join us there, patreon.com slash Mission Log. Um, you know what to do. Click the thing sign up. We'll see you there. I don't want to spend another minute not talking about Strange New Worlds and with our incredible guests. And I see already joining us Cosmo and James hanging out, ready to talk Strange New Worlds. Now, I I said Andrew's ready and willing to hear every thought that you have about Strange New Worlds. So lay it on us, Cosmo. What do you got? Brave man, brave man. Um, (laughs) First of all, James, what do you want to share? He always has to... What do you have for us, James? What do you got? Show. Come on. Show. And so I have the Enterprise D. Awesome. Micro Machines. And then what's that one, yeah. James? Reliant. The Reliant. And one of my favorites, the D7. Nice. 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 <laughs> and, you know, th- these have survived since my childhood, since I was his age. And yet my Eagle Mosses can't uh, survive the mailing to me from UPS oh, or me putting man. it on the stand. So props to Micro Machines from the 90s. Too soon, um, <laughs> too soon, Cosmo. <laughs> hey, we, um, we've, well, we, we might have some Eagle Moss stuff, uh, some insights to share coming up soon, so ooh, stick around. All right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, all right. I really enjoyed this season. Um, I think it's probably the best first season of any Trek. Now, I don't know if that's fair to say because it was only 10 episodes so is it fair for me to compare that to season one of tng which had 20 something i don't know i'm sure we could pick out 10 excellent episodes from every from voyager and from deep space nine but i I didn't feel there was a weak episode in this bunch and i had so much fun uh the whole time and it's a a credit to everybody uh you know uh, like you said earlier i think the cast really hit the ground running 
And whereas you look back to season one of Deep Space Nine, they were really having to work hard to find who the characters were. Uh, Major Kira was very different in season one to how she turned out to be. And uh, I am immediately connected to these Strange New Worlds characters and not just the, the main characters. I want more Ensign Kara, uh, uh, Chief Kyle. I, I, I with him. Hey, who doesn't, uh, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. And, but he just did such a fantastic job. Um, I'm sad to see him or go. Uh, I liked him a lot. Um, and uh, so just well, well done. And I really appreciate the aesthetics of the show. Whereas I had a lot of issues with the, the JJ Trek reimagining of the Enterprise. This 1701, I really like the modernization of it. And uh, is I, I have... I'm pretty grumpy in general, but I have so little complaint from this season uh, that it was just delightful. And it was really nice being able to share it with James, too, because he's seven and, uh, you know, Disco and Picard aren't necessarily for him. So being able to he would uh, I would watch the episode when it dropped at midnight and then he would come into bed and would watch it on my iPad when he'd wake up at 6 a.m. the next morning. And uh, it was cool getting to share that with him. That's awesome. That is awesome. I I think you you might be uh, keying into a a familiar refrain that we'll hear tonight. I feel like for a lot of people, Stranger Worlds has hit this really sweet spot where uh, the number of episodes, I think, plays into that. While I would have liked more, if you have a lot going on in that first season, you might run the risk of those clunkers really standing out, really maybe getting a lot more attention. I think they've hit the right uh, notes appealing to adults and you know having plenty of content there that is accessible to kids you know younger viewers maybe not all kids but certainly for younger viewers i think they've hit sort of the right notes on humor and drama but also mm-hmm. stretching a little bit do a horror episode here do a fantasy episode here they can just sort of do different things with that format um so for whatever it is it's sort of star trek coming full circle you, you know we've made the joke here before that it's the longest uh, pilot to pick up order in TV history, and and somehow, somehow that has played out just right. So um, yeah, and, and any of the criticisms certainly that we've had in our weekly discussions, episode by episode, um, I think that just kind of goes back to well, what's the expectation? What do we what do we get out of a single episode? But as a whole, taken as a premise, taken for the cast taken for the the season that they've given us knocked out of the park you know at yeah. least that's my feeling there might be callers who feel differently i look forward to those callers too well, like, me, the, the episodes where they they took a shot like the mm-hmm. the kingdom one with, mm-hmm. <laughs> landed that they, they nailed the landing for me at least mm-hmm. <laughs> the end of the balance of terror remake uh when spock and pike had that moment that really hit me hard and that shed light on why in the menagerie Spock was willing to go so far uh, to help mm-hmm. Pike. And so that, yeah. And then uh, the moment with Mbenga and his daughter that really brought that home for me. So they, they really stuck the landing on so many um, big swings, you know, that, that takes a lot of cojones to do what they did with balance of terror. And for me, at least it worked really well. I, I enjoyed it and had fun. And it, when I first started hearing about the show, the things that I expected to bother me when I heard that there was going to be a descendant of Khan, I rolled my mm. eyes so hard. Yeah. I liked the character. <laughs> they pulled it off and Ortega's kind of grinded on me a tiny bit initially, but she grew on me because pilots are of course cocky and smirking sure. all the time and quipping. And so the things that I thought would bug me didn't bug me and uh, just delighted. <laughs> Oh my nice. gosh, you're talking like a mature fan. How dare you? <laughs> You've grown so much, Cosmo. <laughs> Cosmo, I, wanna... I, I, I always say, I, I think I will go back and rewatch The Quality of Mercy because hearing our listeners and uh, hearing you reiterate that about how it informs the menagerie, that. I want that to be the thing that I take away from that episode, not my other misgivings about it. So I love hearing that again. It just drives home the emotional weight of what happens later. I mean, I want to kind of ask um, everyone in chat this and everyone who's going to be, you know, on our chats uh, coming up. Did this series give a certain segment of the fandom what they wanted? while creating something new and unique as well? Because I think that there was, as soon as we had, 
JJ's interpretation of the original series era in 2009, there was always this, everyone in the fandom had their very specific vision of what they believe it should have been. But then there's a certain segment of people that actually had the keys to the kingdom. And not everyone's vision was represented in that way. Some were, some weren't, and some were kind of like in the in-between. And then you had Discovery. And Discovery came out, which obviously was a completely different era. But then you have Pike coming in in season two. You know, and you have the Enterprise, this Enterprise, the 1701 getting dropped at the very end of season one of Discovery. So obviously that somewhere along the line, this was in somebody's mind way back when, like four or five years ago. And now we're getting it represented here. I mm-hmm. think that if anyone says that no one is listening to that particular segments or audience, <laughs> I think you're wrong about that. I think that you are very wrong. Someone was listening from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I like that it drives home the idea that Trek is a very big universe that can contain all these different types of stories and these different types of characters. Cosmo, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to jump over to our next caller. We'll see you soon, okay? See you, buddy. Take care. All right. We've got Andy joining us. Welcome to the show, Andy. What is on Hi. your mind tonight? Hi. Hi. I'm thinking about the finale. Yes. <laughs> I was really surprised at your guys' episode. Uh, greetings from the future, by the way. It's early morning here in Norway. Oh, wow. Whoa, Thank you for being wow. here from Norway oh. in the future. Yeah, <laughs> it is entirely too early where you are. But, uh, Indeed it is. Yeah. <laughs> but I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. yeah, so I tell you what, this is your opportunity to, to take us to task. And you, look, Equality of Mercy, that could very well be uh, Andrew's favorite episode. So you guys had the opportunity to gang up on us. That's fine. <laughs> so let us know. Well, like I said, I was surprised because of the reactions I'd seen were really, really positive. And I really liked the episode. But then you guys started talking about the meaning, moral, and the message. And I was like, guys, Kirk kind of says the thing out loud. He says, you can't always avoid every fight. Mm. And in my head, Q Shaq's going, fighting fascism is a full-time job. (laughs) (laughs) Great. And I wonder if one of the things that made it muddy is how the view of the Romulans have changed. Like in Balance of Terror, they are the bad guys. Mm -hmm. But after 2009, and with Picard especially, we've seen them be in a very vulnerable position. So... Like, I don't know if that maybe had an impact. Um, uh, well, go ahead, Norman. Uh, well, you know, I, yeah. to, be, to be honest with you, like, you know, John, you said that after you watched All Those Who Wander, um, a second or third viewing, I think you mm-hmm. said that you had an opinion uh, or a change in your opinion about like how you initially, you know, saw yeah. it and then what you saw later on. And I think that to be completely fair, um, I've only seen Equality of Mercy the one time because I had to break that down for last week's episode. And I saw it from the vantage point of why are they using Balance of Terror this particular moment in the storytelling and that's the only that's the only way i looked at that episode so i was in this realm of if you took balance of terror away from the context of that episode what is that episode telling us it relies so heavily on the premise that balance of terror was going to be the you know this new guiding post this new moral tale for this new crew but we've already seen this played out before but what i do agree with is that and this this moment moved me very much it's when when spock called captain pike chris mm-hmm. he like the the veils dropped the ranks dropped and i was like that's the spock that's going to end up in the menagerie risking everything for his career the way that kirk was going to risk everything for his career getting spock back to vulcan in a mock time you know it's about let's or stealing a spaceship in Star Trek, the search for <laughs> Spock. Like, you know, there's a point in time where their careers don't matter, where the trappings don't matter, where the framework doesn't matter. All that matters is that your friends are your friends. You don't do anything for them. Right. So that's kind of like where I think I'm actually leaning at the end towards um, this episode rather than getting hung up on why is Ortega saying styles as lines, which I'll be honest with you. I said it and I still kind of like bristle by it, you know, because I'm like, that's not her character. Where was that in the last seven years? between now and then but that doesn't matter what matters is i gotta watch it again that's what matters (laughs) 
Yeah, likewise, I, I do want to watch it again, and, and I think about the Romulans being the the enemies, the bad guy to be defeated in Balance of Terror, but the important takeaway from Balance of Terror is a moment of realization that's Kirk and the Romulan commander seeing each other as people, and that, mm-hmm. that idea of, like, you know, in a different reality, we could be friends. And that's... That's the sort of interplay that I like to see Kirk have. I don't necessarily want to see the meme version of Kirk, which is, I'm the rule breaker, I cheat, I break the rules, and I can come in and, and uh, you know, uh, sort of at the last second, one-up the bad guy with a show of force. That it, it didn't play true to me from that first season Kirk that that I know and love, you know. Um, the other thing, and th- this is my own kind of personal hurdle to get past with how a lot of New Trek is told, whether it's Equality of Mercy or Star Trek Into Darkness, which is when Star Trek feels the need to be self-referential in order to tell a story. And I want to say, like, look, with Strange New Worlds, you've got the cast, you've got the talented writers, you've got this ability to tell any story you want. So I don't need for you to sort of wave your hands and tell me at Star Trek by bringing in another character from Star Trek and then replaying an episode of Star Trek while you're doing it. You know, um, I, I don't think it takes away from the quality of what those actors bring us. I don't think it takes away from the quality of uh, certainly the writing staff, the production staff. But it, it, given a choice of the types of Star Trek stories I get to see in only 10 episodes in a season, that's not one of them. So, yeah. you know, but but like I said, my change of heart might come from a rewatch of The Menagerie after I rewatch this. Yeah, that'd be so, great. Like watching yeah. that then watching The Menagerie right afterwards. Andy, yeah. follow up with us and, 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 and see if we've changed our minds yeah, or at least exactly. open them. <laughs> Exactly. Hey, Andy, I know that you're a long way away. Do you ever uh, hit the conventions? Do do you do like Destination Star Trek or Vegas or anything like that? I would love to. I hadn't had the opportunity to, but I really want to. Okay. Well, one day, one day we will see you there. Okay. Can I just say a little thing about just the episode itself, like Balance of Terror in TOS, it's just another episode. But if you think about the bigger universe, it is sort of a tipping point for the balance between the Klingons and the Federation and Romulans, it's an important Mm -hmm. moment. So time travel universe wise, (laughs) it makes sense to me. Oh, it's big. Oh yeah. I don't disagree. In that, in the episode, my interpretation was like, he can tell that Pike is being very thoughtful and very methodical about this. So he's like, okay, then I can be the counterpoint. Then I can say, let's go. Because I know he'll pull back if he needs to. I I do not disagree. <laughs> I, I think you were right on track. <laughs> I mean, it's, I think it's important that you know you are seeing two different sides of of their you know dilemma, right? Trying to balance out each other. So I think that's a good observation. There, sure. There's the balance again. <laughs> they were trying to balance that terror right? just constantly. It's like terror here, terror here. Let's let's get them on the same playing field. Yeah, we just we just cracked the code. We cracked the code. We cracked John. it. We figured it out. We have to go back and do mission log about balance of terror. All now. it took was a future call from Norway. Yes, that's all it took. <laughs> Andy, cannot thank you enough for joining us tonight. Please do it again, okay? I'll try. All right, Thanks, Andy. Cheers. Nice to see all you. Past. Take care. Live long and prosper. Right. All right, all the way from the Enterprise Bridge, appropriately. It's Alan. Oh man, I hope you're not frozen because whatever it is, I'm sure it's going to be good. Yeah, sorry about that. No problem. Yeah, uh, I apologize for that. Um, <laughs> just very briefly, <laughs> I guess, because I don't know how long this is going to last. But um, yeah, I just wanted to echo the praise for for season one of Strange New Worlds. I think that um, I think it's been said elsewhere, but I think it's been the best when it's been you know strange and new. So hopefully that <laughs> continues going forward. Um, I will, I, I do have it, you know, if Andrew's uh, still up for questions, I do have something that I wanted to, to discuss uh, something that sort of came to me while I was waiting. Um, I know that uh, it's a bit like um, 
I'm just going to call it the the volume because I know that's one one fo form of what the technology is called. But working with a, a virtual reality setup, how is that as far as editing goes? Because as someone who's you know still kind of old school, <laughs> <laughs> nicely I mean, done, well, well played. Done. Yeah, yes. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, whoa! Well, it's like I'm you looking just, for the upgrade. I think that's my problem. It's like you're uh, actually on the bridge of the Enterprise now. I can't I, I, believe yeah, you serious. shattered the illusion, dude. That's <laughs> see, right now I'm I'm in the seat that that my mom would be yelling me at me about. So I'm right up by the screen. <laughs> ah, nice. Well, that's a great question. And uh, Andrew, what uh, what about the AR wall and uh, how that impacts what you do? I mean, for me, it's 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 just so cool. Because you, I, I used to get scenes with people exactly in, front, in, a, in a green screen and they're just, they're talking in front of this, this green background and you have to kind of imagine what's there. But now we're getting these amazing scenes where every angle, every piece of coverage I get is, is beautiful, is this fully rendered and fully realized a digital background. That, and, and not only does it give you the background, but it has this amazing effect of it, it's a light source. The screen is the light source. And so you get interactive real lighting from the screen. And so these, it, it, I'm getting footage that you just think is in that location. And that's just so cool from, from an editor's point of view, I'm watching these shows and instead of everyone sitting around on a green screen, you're thinking, okay, this is going to look pretty awesome at some point. It just looks amazing. Wow. Yeah, I mean, like shots of Starbase One, like going through, like when Pike was doing negotiations, and you're just seeing like outside of the Enterprise is being repaired. I'm just looking at that. I'm like, that's unreal. It's unreal. Yeah, yeah. and the, the in the first episode, the scene in the the Vulcan restaurant with with, with Spock yes. and Supreme, yes. the sunset. Like you can just you can just have endless sunset. You, you're never having to try to get a shot where the sun's setting, and you have 15 minutes to get one shot. You can shoot an entire scene and have the perfect lighting for the entire time you're shooting that scene. Wow. Nice. Yeah. That's very cool. Uh, Alan, we are running a little tight on time. Any yeah. uh, final thoughts here? No, like I said, just, you know, more strange, more new, more worlds. <laughs> go for it. All three. All three is what Boldly you want to Boldly go, my friends. Boldly uh, go. Take care, Alan. We'll see you next time. Be good. So, so, so is the uh, tagline then for the next season, it's not going to be strange new worlds too. It's going to be more strange new worlds, right? <laughs> Yeah, more strange, more new. More, okay. Too <laughs> strange, new, two worlds. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, Alan. All right. Uh, joining us again is Cherie. Welcome to the show, Cherie. How's it going? Hello. Doing all right. <laughs> good, good. Also from the Bridge of the Enterprise. I love it. Yep. Excellent. Welcome. Well, what is on your mind tonight as we wrap up Strange New Worlds? Well, I, I did I did want to just thank Andrew for his work because uh, I think editors are the unsung heroes of Hollywood. Um, <laughs> thank um, you, Shree. I appreciate it. Thank you for all your awesome work. And um, I did want to give, still complain, though, about the Quality of Mercy episode. Do Nothing it, about do the it. Editing, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hey, no. And he's not the writer or director. He's editor. Right? Everything so, is fair game. Yeah, exactly. He's just a... Uh, um, it's just that um, for me, it's it's the, it's a kind of world meaning and messages. It, it, it's been it's kind of been throughout Star Trek that I I tend to have a problem with this. I feel like a lot of the time, um, I I agree with Kirk's assessment that like you know you can't avoid every fight, but I would like to hope in a future utopian society, we've thought of a better idea than just shoot first Han Solo style. That's just my take on it. It's just how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, look, uh, I think back to Spock in City on the Edge of Forever talking about Edith Keeler. The right idea is at the wrong time. So Star Trek has very often had these moments where it's had to face like, okay, what are we actually doing here? Do, do, we, do we do like Picard does and say you negotiate and then if you fail, you negotiate again, you negotiate again and you just keep going until you can reach compromise? Or are there times that you have to take a more aggressive posture? Is it the Edith Keeler thing or is it the Vulcan hello at the beginning of Discovery? You know, that one also bothers me, though. <laughs> because uh, it's the same uh, idea. Yeah. yeah, you know, I, I, and I, I think for a good reason it bothers you. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I was about to say she knows, John. She yeah. knows. <laughs> right, right. It's okay. I like validation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I um I'm wondering if the line would have landed differently if it weren't the memed version of Kirk that was served up by Sam. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah. everyone's expecting Kirk to act and say things in a certain way because he's they're they're focusing on cowboy diplomacy kirk which was part of his you know his personality in the orig- in that era of the original series but if it weren't kirk would the, the words that that character had said to pike would those have landed differently and would they have had more impact because you're not focusing on kirk you're not you focusing on that personality <laughs> yeah. yeah for me it's just it's just the moral it, itself the meaning and like I said, it, it has repeated again in other Star Trek episodes, like like uh, John pointed out, the Vulcan hello. And I'm, I know that there's other ones because I've been rewatching a ton of Star Trek episodes. I just can't think of any of the other ones off the top of my head. But that does like it'll it'll be so frustrating for me. It'll, it'll follow like an episode where you had incredible diplomacy, like you, you did, you know, that. And then the next episode, well, I guess we just had to kill him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, oh, right, right, ah, right. Why? Yeah. I, I do want to share a comment here from Dave in the chat. It says, I, I think people got really distracted by the balance of terror thing. It's not the story. None of that matters. What matters is Pike's personal revelation. It was a bold choice, that's for sure, to mix all of this with balance of terror. And I think that that is part of my problem there is that, yes, it is a bold choice. And, you know, I, I suppose it's fair game to revisit a thing in Trek's history. Um, But if the point is Pike's revelation, his decision, and him uh, almost having to land at a place of being at peace with his fate and what he can't mess with, I think there are about 900 other ways to get to that. And we've already seen these glimpses of Pike dealing with his future and the knowledge of his future. I was on board with the idea of older Pike and the Monster Maroon showing up. I thought their dialogue was cracking. I thought Anson was great in both roles. But then we spent a lot of time in the recreation of Balance of Terror. And then I was sort of that, that honestly took me out of what then I was supposed to get out of that episode. So, um, yeah, it's not going to hit the same for everybody. I can certainly appreciate that. And Sharia can certainly appreciate your grappling with the morals, meanings, messages. <laughs> So, uh, any other final thoughts tonight before we uh, go to our um, last caller? I just want to, because I, I didn't get to talk about the the um, fantasy episode because I yes. wasn't able to talk about that one. But I I loved that one, um, and uh, one of the things that I really loved about it that seemed so meta to me was that. Like, I don't have a specific example, but I'm pretty sure that the original Star Trek, if they had used like Renaissance type costumes, it would have been because they had to, because they're like, oh, we have some leftovers. I guess we right. to make an episode about this. You know, yep. they didn't have the budget. Yeah, and short leave. Western, Western costumes, see if it was on the rack. Yeah, yeah. short leave. Exactly. Yep. I love yep. the fact that something that I, I, I know other productions have done that specifically on purpose like they had the leftover costumes and that's just what they did so um i love the fact that based on a budget meme like a budget thing that people have to do they made this beautiful these costumes amazing costumes like and spent so much money on them i i fully expect to see some great cosplay at the next convention with those absolutely (laughs) yep yep All right, Cherie, it has been a pleasure as always, and uh, we'll see you when we come back to Mission Log Live at some point. All right? Take care. Hi, Cherie. Nice meeting you, Andrew. Hi, Cherie. All right. Wrapping it up tonight, bringing it all home for Strange New World Season 1. It's our friend and fellow podcaster, John Arminio. How are you doing tonight, John? I'm I'm great. Thank you guys for taking my call so late. <laughs> hey, no problem. Look, we we know that you've got great stuff to say. So uh, so here we are to the second, the know, next hour. Settling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chewing yeah. yeah, up for hour <laughs> two. Yeah. Um, I mean, like for me, I think the whole arc of Strange New Worlds, like I was sort of tracking, um, Pike's arc throughout the series because like you know how can we justify you know not only 
a, a prequel series, but a, but a prequel where our main character knows his own future. You know, how can we create stakes for this character? Um, and I found it really remarkable how I felt we got more of an arc out of Pike than we have from other new Trek, at least in my opinion, where, you know, these other shows are much more geared towards one central character, but even with uh stranger world, which is much more, more of an ensemble. I still felt we got these, uh, uh, sort of a, a cadre of characters who had much more fulfilled arcs than other Trek shows have. And so I think that was such a testament to the skill in the writing um, and so I was just so happy to see that. And even if I do have misgivings about how um, the finale was was executed um, with bringing in a very specific episode in the way it did, mm-hmm. uh, um, I, all, I it felt more like yesterday's Enterprise to me than Balance of Terror mm-hmm. as sort of um, like a, a vision of a dark... Uh, alternate version of the enterprise that our main character was sort of um, burdened with preventing. And, and so even if the choice of balance of terror as a way to visit that possible future was arbitrary, I thought the, um, the execution of it was, was very powerful. And so I was just very happy to, to see that. That's totally fair. You know, one of the things that we haven't really gotten into in our discussion of Pike and his arc is just the absolute terror of mm-hmm. somebody walking around knowing the day and the time that they're going to. Well, he's not dying, but but the, the time that his life will irreparably and irrevocably change to be something that he is scared of becoming and and how could he not be you know uh to to walk around with that burden is um it's something that we can't comprehend just walking around in our daily lives so this is something that will indeed have a profound impact on him you have to get to a point in the story where we understand that he understands how important that journey is. So I guess in this case, you need to make it of cosmic significance, <laughs> you know, mm. um, not just the life of some other captain's kid that he doesn't know yet, which I thought was a brilliant way to get into the episode. And it was interesting to see Pike break his cool at that moment, but we have to be okay for the next seven years, knowing that Pike is resigned to this you you know uh it it will of course haunt him um but it it is it is at its very essence an indescribable thing yeah to know that that's coming so star trek at some point this series in particular has to deal with that very big issue hanging over him and we didn't have to do two things to make that happen. And somebody also pointed this out in the chat. We didn't go to the mirror universe. Yes. Thank God. Yes. And we, <laughs> we didn't have yeah. to like save the very fabric of reality yeah. in order to tell <laughs> right. a coherent yes. and, and powerful story, because sometimes like the smallest moments are, are the most powerful. Like, <laughs> like what's more emotionally affecting than, Mbenga encountering like an adult version of his happy daughter in that mm-hmm. like yeah. you know one beautifully you know lit room like it's yeah. that's what you need for an for an emotionally um complete story and yeah. and Andrew just compliments to you and the editing team for having such powerful scenes with an actor playing against himself um i'm not a professional editor but i can't imagine that's an easy thing to edit together uh thanks john and i mean that that is a testament to to hansen and just what he what he brings he is he is an amazing amazing Mm -hmm. professional and he's just hitting this role on all the perfect oh yeah for sure nice uh john any uh final thoughts before we uh, say good night um i just wish we had an episode 11 to talk about next week but uh <laughs> i guess we'll we'll just have to wait 
<laughs> well, hey, you know what? That is the perfect way, though, for our sign-off to say that uh, we will not be ne- back next week uh, because there is no new Trek next week. Uh, we are planning to come back at the very latest, uh, right after the premiere of Lower Decks, which will be on August 25th, now we know, so the next Monday after that. Uh, boy, Norm, for one of us at least, it's going to be a rough night because we'll be coming back from Vegas that day to then do that live show. So we, one of us, our, our voice is just going to be shot. <laughs> it's going or to be it'll best. sound amazing. Or right? it'll sound great. Yeah. Smoky. Right. Yeah, but uh, we have a little bit of a break, which is it's going to be nice, but I think that um, for the fans, you know, it'll be nice to get right back into it, especially with Lower Decks. And, no, you know, a, a really just nice change in the pacing of live show, live show, live show, and now back to the animated show. Yeah, but man, know, the air so. editor... Yeah, Yeah, and I I know that a lot of fans are are really kind of like, they want to know what happened to Captain Freeman. You know, we had another uh, arrested ending, if you will, right? Yes, yes. And um, that teaser poster, you know, the Search for Spock-style teaser poster for Lower Decks is, that's amazing. There's a theme happening, you know, you had Lower Deck Season 2 was Khan, Lower Deck Season 3 is Spock. Yep. You know, maybe we'll get to Season 4 and we'll have something with the whales. Oh, maybe. Maybe we can only hope. All right, gang, so we won't see you next week. But with that, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Technical production on Mission Log Live and Mission Log is by the inevitable Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from Roddenberry Podcasts. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. Thank you to everyone who joined us live or later. And we will see you again soon. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.